We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. March has arrived, and we're only weeks away from the big tournament. Yes, that tournament. Make sure to head to Bet Online and open an account today to get in on their $100,000 Bracket Madness contest starting March 15th. That's right, $100,000 starting March 15th. You don't need to be hardcore to get in on the action. And with multiple entries available, it's this season's best chance to cash in. And remember, the NBA and XFL are still going strong, so whatever your passion is, Bet Online is the place to be for all your betting needs. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner Bet Online to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and make sure to use that promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for your 50% sign up bonus. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. The timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Stop turning the ball over so much. Um, and just value every possession um, and lead this team, you know, to where we need to go. Um, knowing that can be hard sometimes, just keep moving on to the next play. You can't, can't live in the past, so, you know, I know what I have to be better at. I always say I'm my toughest critic, so, you know, I'm going to try to be better every time I step up there. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast, back after a rough, rough week. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing okay, uh, Mike. And I think the reason that is, is because I like to keep things relative. Uh, relatively <laughs> speaking, basketball doesn't really matter. Uh, and <laughs> the sun will eventually engulf the earth and everything you know and love will will disappear from history entirely. So if you just keep things in perspective... The yeah. sun's having a bad week. It's yeah. not the end of the world. Yeah, it's odd. Um, 
in our last episode, we were wrong uh, almost about everything because uh, we talked about the Utah Jazz game being the most difficult game that they were going to face. And uh, we were very excited about how well Kelly Oubre was playing. And of course, that led to them winning only the Utah Jazz game. Uh, and then uh, losing two of what we thought were going to be the easiest games of the week. And of course, uh, the Kelly Oubre injury was all mixed in with all of that. Let's mm-hmm. talk, we can talk about the Jazz game, but that's that's already feels like a week ago. It feels And, and in the last week, it almost feels like a month ago uh, at this point. So let's talk about those two frustrating games that just ended this week. And of course, we'll look forward uh, towards the end of this episode as well. But uh, losing to Detroit and Golden State... Back-to-back, Detroit is essentially, they sold off all of their players, as we talked about on the last play, or on the last episode, and um, Golden State is essentially a team of G-leaguers, and it was a lot like, as we all felt, the Suns have improved, as we all felt like they're a different team, they look a lot better, the Jazz game had us all feeling good, then Brandon Knight, Marquise Chris, and Dragon Bender, (laughs) the ghost of Christmas past comes into our building and beats us on our floor that's pretty bad it did not feel good to be a Suns fan in this past week of course we can get into the basketball part of this but how did you feel with those two uh losses sam well no i mean obviously i felt awful uh, <laughs> about those two losses no question um and and kind of this is the low point of the season for any Suns fan. And if you're still listening to this podcast at this point, make no mistake, you are no casual Suns fan. You are a diehard Suns <laughs> fan who deserves all of the success that is hopefully coming to this organization in the future. Um, but that being said, Mike, you're exactly right. Brandon Knight averaging six points per game on the season uh, on, on poor shooting splits to come into the Suns' house and post... I have to quickly look up 19 points and four mm-hmm. assists on seven of 14 shooting, watching Dragon Bender hit threes. Uh, Mark Marquise Chris arguably has actually been like a, an okay NBA yeah. player this season, maybe, but he I've enjoyed watching him. He continued. I wouldn't go that far for myself, but he continued <laughs> to be pretty solid in that game. Um, and I think the Suns were, look, one game was a two point loss that they really battled back and, and almost had it were it not for a couple of heartbreaking shots, a couple of brilliant yeah. shots from Derrick Rose. Yeah. And the other game, things really fell apart at the end of the third quarter and became more like close to a blowout loss. So I think yeah. the reasons the Suns lost were a little bit different. The common factor between both of them, though, was lack of effort, uh, incredibly lazy playmaking, uh, and a lot of turnovers on the part of the Suns. And I think we saw maybe some of the laziest tendencies come out uh, in everyone in these two games, but even in star players like Devin Booker coming fresh off of All-Star Weekend. Yeah, and I think that's actually the worst part about it to me is these were two back-to-back horrible games by Devin Booker. And I and I want to say I want to say that he played okay uh offensively in both of the games. There was obviously some some shots that were missed. I think the Golden State game, everything was like it was on delay. Uh, every reaction time was slower, uh, whether it be offensively or defensive. Finding the right guy to pass to, that was slow. Turnovers came over and over and over again. And 
I think it's a big thing for Devin Booker, and I and I I think we have to talk about this. And for the record, we're just talking about these two games, right? It's possible he's just injured, and that's the only thing wrong. Uh, but there's more to talk about with Devin Booker because the month of February is nothing like the month of January for Devin Booker. But for the leader of this team, the clear star player on this team, to give essentially no effort on defense for two games in a row, that communicate something to the rest of the team in that it's okay to not give a very or to give varying levels of defensive effort because it comes and goes uh he does not have to be a lockdown defender he will never be a lockdown defender he's not built for it but to not give effort that communicates something to the rest of the team and i think mikhail bridges said it best after the golden state game he says that the team is mentally weak uh and I and I think that's accurate. I, I I think that's very accurate. I think they they should not have lost either of these games. They really shouldn't have. This is home. It's at home. There should be some sort of edge that makes them want to defend their home court. And I saw none of that. And and honestly, weirdly, that's almost all it would have taken to win either of these games. Just focus and effort. Yeah, and, and we stressed at the beginning of the season how important it was. Um that we take we've taken away the excuses for this team right i think what's so puzzling to suns fans right now is look this team is obviously improved we've talked about that over and over but why is this team still kind of bad why are they hemorrhaging on the defensive end 113 points to detroit and 115 points the night after to a team like golden state if you've got maybe not lockdown defenders but you brought in a veteran like ricky rubio who's made an obvious positive contribution on defense for the most part has played on good defensive teams in the playoffs in the past you did the same exact thing with dario Saric, not a lockdown defender in his own right but clearly a guy who can contribute to a system so theoretically at the beginning of the summer we were talking about all these puzzle pieces fitting together and now why are they not quite fitting and I think it's tough on Suns fans because you look at the effort that Devin Booker is putting uh, in on defense right now, and he is indisputably an offensive superstar. He indisputably, I think, deserved um, that all-star spot this season, and, and I will defend that to the death. Um, but it is hard when he turns in back-to-back performances like this on the other end. He's just not at the level where he's one of those top 10 uh, two-way superstar impact kind of players. You know, mm-hmm. He's not a Kawhi Leonard uh, or an Anthony Davis or or some player like that. He's just a tier below that. And so, again, you start to look at other guys on the roster. You start to look at the improvement that DeAndre Ayton is making and start to think, hey, maybe is there someone else that can ultimately take that number one spot from him if the Suns actually want to compete year after year um, moving forward? Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think he's still young and he obviously has room to grow. Of and course. you can become a better leader it's difficult for him because I can't imagine five years in this organization and it's been a dumpster fire disaster that entire time to develop that kind of guy who's been around that disastrous of an organization into a great leader is going to take longer than one year, right? So I, I, I'm, I'm not overly frustrated with this. But I do want to just talk about a couple of things. In January, I tweeted this out. He was averaging 31.3 points and 52% shooting which is otherworldly good. That's insanely good. Now, that's unsustainably good. But in February, he's down to 22 points on 41% shooting. That is a massive difference. That's nine points off uh, in, in, in just the regular box score points per game. 
and nine percentage points lower in field goal percentage. And I want to point this out. It is not because defenses are playing him differently. I don't actually think that. I actually think he was trapped more towards the beginning of this year when he was averaging more points than he has been in February due to the uh, growth of DeAndre Ayton and his ability to actually catch the ball and score. I think that the traps have come less and less and less. He still gets trapped often, of course, but I, I don't think it's any more than it was previously. I don't have the analytics on that. I, of course, look at this and I say, who's to blame for this? Now, it could be as simple as maybe his wrist is injured, but this is an entire month of not great performances for his level of play. Could it be that him averaging the level of minutes that he's averaged due to this team having such a horrible bench, is that possibly to blame for his inability to sustain that level of play for such a long period of time? Uh, And you could even extrapolate that to a point and say, is that something that led to Kelly Oubre getting injured? Of course, I'm not. I'm not willing to point fingers at the at anyone for that at this point. But you have to look at these stats. This is a significant drop off in play from one month to another, and and this is the month that he. You would think that coming off of the All Star break would give him some sort of edge, and it did not appear to. Um, I, I, it's just very odd. Do you? What do you think is the cause of this drop off in play for Devin Booker? So you started to hint at one of one of the potential causes. The way I see it, there's two options, right? Either he's kind of physically tired, and that's... I mean, look, some of the drop-off is statistical noise. It's variations going from month to month. Like you said, you know, his averages on the season are 26, 27 points, not 31, 32. So what he was doing in January was already kind of crazy and unsustainable, right. just to reiterate that point. But yeah, to drop off this much, there's two options. Either he's physically tired... Or he's mentally tired. And the evidence that points to him being physically tired, look, this is a guy who has not played for the past couple of seasons, 82 games in a season. He's had these various nagging injuries. So now for him to be on course for a 70, 75 game season where he's averaging a career high 36 minutes per game, we've talked about this with guys like Ricky Rubio and Aaron Baines this season, but I don't think we've actually talked about it all that much with Devin Booker. It is entirely possible that he is physically at his breaking point. Uh, and that we're seeing the effects of that now. And just with the relative lack of strength of this bench, that was always a possibility. The other possibility is that uh, he's sick of this organization's shit. And (laughs) your evidence there is maybe in looking at uh, the way that he was being a leader, or maybe the way he wasn't being a leader uh, with some of his answers in post-game interviews recently. Um, you, you mentioned you made reference to that Mikhail Bridges post game interview where he called the team mm-hmm. mentally weak. Devin Booker didn't speak after that game, but right, the following day, today, this morning, Dwayne Rankin asked Booker if he would reflect on what Bridges said uh, about calling out the team. Essentially, if he would take some sort of responsibility or or kind of just analyze that comment at all, and Booker immediately answered. He said, "Quote: We're past that game. I'm not talking about that anymore." And then he was pressed on it a little bit more. You know, Dwayne asked him a a follow-up question, kind of, and he he just said, can't live in the past, have to move forward. Which, to be fair, I mean, he's perfectly right. You can't live in the past. But on the other hand, as the franchise player uh, of this organization making $30 million a year or more, that answer just really doesn't cut it after you lose to the worst team in the NBA. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, if you look at Booker being mentally tired, Maybe this comes down to what we were all afraid of a, a couple of weeks ago, that James Jones sat on his ass during the trade deadline, uh, didn't make any sort of effort to really improve this team, 
And now we're already starting to see the repercussions of that because Devin Booker is tired of playing for a franchise that he feels like isn't really putting in the resources to help him get to the next level. Yeah, I, I think there was a conversation at that time of uh, the Suns just shouldn't make a trade to make a trade. And I, I think that was never the case. They, that that was never an option. They, they weren't just going to make a trade to make a trade. Making a trade was always with the idea of improving the team as it currently sits. And if you look at the uh, state of the playoffs, the Suns are out of the race essentially. But had they improved at the trade de- deadline, maybe they wouldn't be. Uh, Memphis has some of their best players are injured. Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. both out. They traded away one of their other best players to to uh, Miami, and now they're losing games. Now, John Morant is kind of a superhero, so it's possible they'll continue to win. But if any team, if at any point of the season is a, was a team going to actually overtake them in that spot, it's going to be now. It's going to be in this last stretch of the season where probably New Orleans, if Zion keeps playing like he's uh, a veteran, uh, all-star <laughs> player, basically, uh, maybe it could be them. It could be Portland if uh, Damian Lillard comes back and they play like they can uh, with him playing. So had they made a trade, maybe they would have sacrificed more assets than people uh, in a vacuum people would have liked. But proving to your star player, as we've talked about time and time again, that you want to improve this team is important, especially as he sees two of his best friends teaming up in Minnesota, I mean, look, I, I know this is sort of, we're getting down to sort of uh, armchair psychology here, but I know how I would I would feel if two of my <laughs> best friends were teaming up and I had to watch them from a, a, a distance and play for a team that has no chance of making the playoffs, regardless of how well he plays uh, at this point. I know how, how it would affect me, so I'm not going to really judge anyone else if it does affect them in any other way, so... Look. And of course we can't, we don't know for sure any of this, right? Uh, but, but, but it's just, it's possible his wrist just hurts. Somebody slapped down on it, it is, at the beginning of February. You yep, know, it, it is, we don't really know. Absolutely possible that his wrist just hurts uh, and we're blowing things out of proportion. But look, here's the other thing we got to think about. You got to think about, you know, we're both big fans of Devin Booker on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I, I think that should be clear to everyone. Um, you have to have the conversation at a certain point. You're in year five, and you're on pace for 30 wins, and at least theoretically, there are better veterans around this guy. Um, and we still have a lot of faith in him, like I said, at least to be an all-star player, if not a superstar. But he's already on a max contract salary. How much appeasement is worth it? Because I, I think you know yeah. a lot of things change when you make the all-star game. For Devin Booker, there was really a a feeling of vindication um, when he finally made the All-Star game for both him and for his fans uh, to kind of prove the naysayers wrong. But what happens now that Devin Booker has made that All-Star game, he's not an underdog anymore. You know, he kind of has even more critics down his back under the assumption that if he's going to be getting these individual awards, if he's chasing after these individual awards, he has to actually prove it by winning some games and making the playoffs sooner rather than later. And obviously it's not fair uh, to a certain extent to throw all these expectations on him because it's not one player that carries a team to the playoffs, but he is not an underdog story anymore. So at a certain point, you know, how, how much is it really worth it to appease this guy by trading for a guy like D'Angelo Russell? If you feel that guy doesn't fit the other pieces on your roster, 
uh, and if Devin Booker hasn't really proven anything to you to show or indicate that he could be a star player. I guess these are the types of conversations and things that are going on in the minds of Robert Sarver and James Jones that obviously no one asks them about and, and they'll never say out loud. But they do have to think, where is that breaking point? You know, we're going to throw on the franchise tag uh, if one did exist at the NBA level <laughs> on this guy. And, and to the media, we're going to label him as our franchise player. And for promotional material, we're going to label him our franchise player. But when push comes to shove, is Devin Booker really a franchise player in the mind of James Jones? I truly don't know the answer to that question. Um, I think it would be fair for him to be questioning that right now, given Booker's performance and given his leadership style. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, is he talented enough to be that? I think so. I, I definitely believe that that he is. I, I just think that there are questions that still need to be answered, and you, you just there are times throughout the season where I wonder if the damage done by this franchise to Devin Booker is bad enough that it's going to make it very difficult for him to be successful here on the Suns. But uh, uh, I believe that he can. I just think crawling out of that hole is going to take a lot of a lot of heart and a lot of work. And those are two things that I believe that he has. And it just. Uh, it'd, it'd be nice to see it over the next few games. Now, I do want to say, of course, we are overreacting to two games here. But these are two games that they really should not have lost. And and in the way that they lost them was so demoralizing that I think that this type of conversation, it's it, maybe it's a bit therapeutic for Sam and I to just sort of work through it. And of course, if they if they at the end of next week end up winning three games or uh, they win some like they beat the Bucks or they beat the uh, uh, Toronto. If they win both of those games miraculously, of course we're going to come on and we're going to have a completely different conversation. Like the hypocrites we are. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. It's not just about the last two games for Devin Booker. This conversation is it's, it's, it's about the last month. Uh, It's about the last 10 games uh, or so. And uh, maybe even more than that. And I think that's a conversation that we have to have now. And, 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 and that also means that it's not just, well, they lost Kelly Oubre and we should talk about him. Uh, it's not just about that because, uh, yes, maybe that did affect the team for the last few games. Uh, I could see that happening, of course, um, because Kelly Oubre brings so much energy. He brings so much heart. And uh, he's really the only entertaining player, like from an athletic standpoint, uh, on the team, uh, which is something I realized as I was at the Detroit game. I was like, wow, this team is actually kind of boring uh, without Kelly Oubre on the floor. Uh, unless they're really performing well, of course. Um, but we have to talk about it. Kelly Oubre out for the rest of the season with a, well, nothing has been confirmed, actually, we should say, uh, but a meniscus tear. The last news about it was that he was getting a second opinion on that knee injury, which I think is uh, interesting. Um, and we haven't heard anything about that second opinion since then. What does the loss of Kelly Oubre for the rest of the season mean to you, Sam? Well, I, I think you started it off in a good place and that it makes the team a lot less interesting. Obviously, it destroys your playoff chances. Kelly Oubre has had a fantastic season. Um, but I, I want to kind of shift this conversation to a little bit more of an optimistic tone this time. I'm not worried too much about a meniscus tear for Kelly Oubre. It's not a torn ACL. He'll be fine uh, going into next season. He's only 24 years old. He'll be 25 going into next season. To make a Suns comparison, we've had Suns players in the past tear their meniscus and come back and still play at a high level. Um, Guys like Eric Bledsoe, who to this day is still playing at a high level. 
Um, so I think Kelly Oubre can still be, you know, in your long-term plans for the Suns. He shouldn't be going anywhere. I have no faith, um, or sorry, I have faith that he can come back next season um, and, and sort of play at the same level and, and still make an impact. But this season, it's just really unfortunate because you were trying to make that one last little playoff push, and now it's just not going to happen. Um, and it sucks for Kelly, too, because, you know, he's in this kind of short-term two-year deal where he bet on himself and was really hoping for uh, maximizing his potential in these two years and maximizing his opportunities to really play and showcase what he can do, not only to the Suns, but frankly, to the rest of the league. Um, and now he just won't have as much opportunity to do that. Yeah, I it's I agree with you. I think a meniscus tear, like Eric Bledsoe had a meniscus tear uh, at some point and he came back fine. I, I think that a lot of players can get that athletic burst back uh, meniscus injuries are interesting because there's multiple ways to go with them. You could, uh, have surgery, you could have it removed. Um, in some cases it requires no surgery, just rehab. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what the final outcome of this is for Kelly Oubre, how long he'll be out. We'll see if he's back in time for uh, training camp next season. I think that's possible, uh, that he will be, and that would be great if, if he was, but I think as we talked about on previous episodes, once the playoff hopes just sort of drifted away, and for you and I, that happened a few weeks ago. I think for a lot of Suns fans, it's now. Uh, it's happening right now. But once that went away, what we talked about a lot is, so the rest of the season is a focus on development, and I think with James Jones not making any moves at the trade deadline, I think it was clear that he was content focusing on developing the players that we had uh, for the rest of the season. And to develop those guys without Kelly Oubre is actually very frustrating because things were clicking, at least for one lineup. We finally had something where we said, oh, there's five guys here who play really well together. They look like a real NBA roster when those five guys are on the floor. One of those guys is gone, and this is literally the least deep team, <laughs> the team with the worst bench <laughs> in the NBA. And maybe so not anymore. one of those guys away. We'll yeah, maybe that. not anymore. We'll yeah, maybe like... not anymore. But I think if you if you if you have to push up one of those guys into the starting lineup, the depth is still pretty bad uh, because you're taking one of those guys away from the bench as well. So the fact that we have to watch them develop without Kelly Oubre, it just really sucks. It's it's a sad ep- This is a sad episode. I I titled it "Sad Episode" when I sent you the link to this recording, Sam, <laughs> and that's just what it is because it's, there's nothing to be happy about with a with an injury. And there's nothing to be happy about with an injury with possibly the most exciting player having the best season of his career uh, and, and a guy that just Suns fans love to love. He's very entertaining. He gives a lot back to the fans. He loves to do things like blow kisses to the crowd or, or do push-ups on the floor when he, when he uh, takes hits or the best thing he does, which is posterize Rudy Gobert over and over and over again. And that's something we're not going to see for the rest of the season. Of course, Cam Johnson has posterized a guy before, so maybe we'll see some more Cam Johnson poster dunks uh, for the rest of the season. But You know what it feels like? It it feels like last season when we had like a 10-game sample with Tyler Johnson and Kelly Oubre in the starting lineup, and they yeah, played six well. Yeah, 6-6. And, six. and we the rode that six and six 12 run. games, famous 6-6, six and six, and beat the Bucks. And we rode that all the way into this season. Yeah. And we used it to hype up Tyler Johnson and what he was going to do, too. And, and he, yeah. I called him the sixth man of the year or whatever. Yeah. Um, I won't let myself live that one down. The cake um, was a lie. What, what'd you say? say? 
the cake was a lie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, well, it, it does really remind me of that in the sense that now for the next 12 months, we're going to be talking about... Yeah. Remember when the Suns got 10 games of Oubre yeah. and Bridges starting together and, and Aiton was back from suspension and they were really good? And now, unfortunately, we won't get that. So, I look, but just to reiterate, I do think Kelly's going to come back. I think he's going to be fine and I think he's going to play well. Maybe with the one exception that we're not going to see as many poster dunks, um, or at least if he does go for the same poster dunks next year, it might make me cringe a little bit more when he does go yeah, for them. I right. don't know. Right. It's like watching Zion just walk. <laughs> <laughs> it looks scary no, no matter what he does. I think the one thing that is interesting about this injury is that we do get to see the team develop two guys that will be on the roster next season. And for that, we should get to player of the week. Player of the Week this week has no sponsor and no song once again because it's up to you guys to send a song to us. It's it's possible we'll get a sponsor through our podcast network, but if any of you would like to sponsor us, just, just tweet at us, respond in the Reddit thread that you want to sponsor Player of the Week. We'll work something out with you, and we'll read whatever you want in the time uh, that we're doing Player of the Week. So let's get to Player of the Week. Sam, why don't you go first with Player of the Week? Sure. So my Player of the Week is going to be the glue man himself, Mikhail Bridges. Um, He's just doing his thing. You know, it's it's been a sad week for Suns basketball overall. (laughs) (laughs) But but I think Mikhail Bridges has really made some strides. And I think the biggest thing for me, and you you can tell me maybe what it is for you too, but the biggest thing I've noticed from Mikhail Bridges uh, as of late is that he's really taking contested threes now. You know, he shot in the four games they had this week, he shot 50% from deep. But going back to the entire season now, he's up to 35% three-point shooting, which is league average on the season. This is a guy who we were talking about at the very end of, of 2019 was in the upper 20s in his three-point percentage. So he's really We literally shooting. stopped talking about it. We literally of- forced ourselves to stop talking about it because we just hoped and prayed that it would come back if we did. And sure enough, it has come back. And not only is he proving that he can stand in the corner and hit a wide open three, but yeah. what I think is super interesting now is that Monty is like calling some plays and calling some right. actions that call for McHale to do things like, you know, set a back screen and then go run off movement and catch it and, and fire pretty quickly when those looks are contested. Usually there's there's a defender coming right at him, um, but it just especially in the past few games, he's willing to take those contested threes because he has this newfound confidence and... Once he can do that, he still has a long way to go on offense. But you've got a guy now where we know he's very good with the backdoor cuts. We know that he's slowly learning to get his legs a little bit when it comes to driving to the basket. And, you know, he's got that little kind of elbow mid-range shot that he works out uh, now and then. He's not an amazing finisher, but he's got the three-point shooting. He can even take those contested threes. We know you can give him the ball, and he's going to make smart reads and make the right passes. So all of the all of the stuff on offense is starting to come together, and and he's looking like a real well-rounded player on both ends of the court to me right now. Uh, and that is one of the best things that you could possibly ask for out of any Phoenix Sun for the rest of this season is more development out of Mikael Bridges because he's going to play such an important role uh, for this franchise going forward. Yeah, Mikael has one gear. <laughs> And it's it's just high gear. He's always playing hard no matter what. I think even in those bad uh, games with Detroit and Golden State, he was just always playing well. He just that's that's how he plays basketball. Uh, I do think that now that that shot is dropping, he's getting it off faster without a hitch. I think that's the main thing. That's that's why it's possible 
for him to shoot the contested threes. But I think at this point, he has to be comfortable once they start really closing hard, attacking the closeout once again, because now that that three is dropping and if it drops early, he has the ability of making plays if he pump fakes and drives. And if he has to take that mid-range shot, he has to because without Kelly Oubre, that's just just 19 points gone. And if, if the Suns need to be anywhere close to as good they as they were when Kelly Oubre was playing, they have to find a way to make up those points somehow. And that means that Mikhail has to take more shots. And that means that my player of the week has to take more shots. And that's Cameron Johnson. Cameron Johnson, when he came back from injury, he was struggling a little bit from the three-point line. Uh, but in the last week, he's back to shooting. He was shooting 47% from three uh, in the last week. So he's back to that sort of knockdown shooter that the Suns need him to be. And uh, with that three dropping, he's also driving and taking some short jumpers as well, some sort sort of two-point shots. And I actually think that's something that it's it's good for him to develop because he's tall enough to get that shot off. And there are, there are just going to be times in the shot clock where he catches it and there's going to be a hard closeout on him and he's not going to have time to pass it to another player. And that means that he has to work on that little pump fake and a short jumper. And I think that's something that he can develop. Now, I do want to ask you, Sam, if the rest of this season is now a focus on developing the players that will be around long-term and Gambo, who has been wrong before, but did recently report that Dario Saric is not part of the plans for the Phoenix Suns in the future. Should the Suns be starting Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson in that starting lineup with Mikhail back at the four and Cam Johnson at that three position to provide a little bit more spacing in a starting lineup with Dario Saric not hitting a lot of threes and not a lot of spacing because of that? Should they just be starting two wings again? Yeah, well, I will say two things. Um, a, Dario's not going to like that. Not that it really matters what he thinks, but he is, you know, it's a contract year for him. So I'm sure he wants as many minutes as possible. Um, and I do think Dario, this is the second point, uh, has actually been better for the past week. Um, I really do. So I don't think it necessarily makes uh, the team any better, swapping Dario for Cam. I don't think Cam has proved that he's a better player than Dario Saric. But to your point, if it's about development, then yeah. I mean, look, at this point, we've got Suns fans going to tankathon daily. You know, the Suns have the 10th best lottery odds at this point, and um, they're in danger of sliding even further. Um, so if it if it really is about development at this point, then I think it can't hurt. And I think schematically, Cam Johnson and um, Mikhail Bridges, it certainly doesn't have the athleticism that Oubre and Bridges had, but it kind of delivers some of the same functions in that you've got kind of two somewhat long wings who can play the passing lanes and provide spacing i don't know it's it's not a perfect comparison but i would i would agree that it would be worth it yeah i i want to see it i'd like to see it i think they had some closing minutes uh in that detroit game obviously cam hit some really important shots and I just think they need more offense. Without Kelly Oubre on the floor, you have to find ways to get more points. And although Cam is not really going to create any for himself, even Dario has had the ability of creating some shots for himself recently off that pump fake and that sort of uh, rumbly drive towards the basket. Uh, Cam Johnson's not even going to do that. But I I do feel like that spacing, that ability to shoot 47% from three in a week's period, that, that would be really important. 
for the team, especially if Mikhail Bridges continues to hit threes. I actually think that could be a relatively potent lineup on offense. Uh, certain teams, of course, can take advantage of it defensively. And of course, we'll talk about some of the teams that the Suns are playing uh, a little bit later. But do you have any other thoughts on those two players of the week? Nope, that is it for me. All right, let's get to a quick segment for you guys, and we'll be right back to talk about a new addition to the Phoenix Suns. This week in Suns history. On March 3rd, 2006, the Suns signed Tim Thomas as a free agent to complete their 15-man roster. While Thomas did not have a long career with the Suns, he certainly had a memorable one. Thomas, a 6'10 journeyman forward, had been waived from the Chicago Bulls after having played just three games that season. The Suns made use of Thomas immediately. He played all 26 games for the Suns the rest of the season, starting 10 and averaging 11 points while shooting 43% from three. He then played 20 playoff games, starting 14. Everyone remembers Thomas's heroics in the playoffs that year. With the Suns down 3-1 to the lower-seeded Lakers in the first round, Raja Bell clotheslined Kobe Bryant in Game 5, earning a suspension for Game 6. Short-handed and on the brink of elimination, the Suns needed Thomas to step up in Los Angeles, and step up he did. Thomas scored 21 points, but most importantly, he made a game-tying three with six seconds left to send it to overtime where the Suns would win and go on to win the series. Suns have not hit anything from the field in the last three minutes. They need a three to tie. Marion the rebound. Tim Thomas with the fake for the tie. 6.3 to play in regulation. <laughs> Timeout. Oh my, what a shot. The Suns did not re-sign Tim Thomas that summer, so his time in Phoenix was short. But Suns fans will always appreciate him for contributing to a thrilling Suns playoff run. Big thanks once again to our researcher, Cody James Hunt, for researching that for us. Once again, follow Cody on Twitter at CO underscore D Hunt. Cody is a great follow for any Suns fans. So, the Phoenix Suns had an open roster spot, and they filled it with a uh, player, as I described on Twitter, coming home, Jordan McRae, a sort of guard-forward hybrid, uh, and possibly the best bench player on the Phoenix Suns now. (laughs) What do you think of Jordan McRae coming back home, Sam? It's pretty crazy that... um... I love this signing. <laughs> you know, it's it's 25 games left or 20 games left in the season. And it's at the point where the Suns might be out of the playoff hunt and you don't know if they can do anything that actually matters. But for a couple of different reasons, this is awesome. It's actually an awesome move by James Jones. I think for James Jones, he was uh, it was simple for him because he was actually a teammate with McRae in Cleveland uh, a couple of years ago when Jones was at the end of his career. Um, But Jordan McRae is coming off some really good games for Washington earlier this season when he averaged 13 points, three assists per game. He hit 38% of his threes. He was a positive contributor, you know, definitely a good offensive player for that team. And now he comes to Phoenix. and, And like you said, Mike, he really has the potential. But it's not just about him being a good bench player and helping to fill in the gap for the rest of this season. 
Um, I think Bobby Marks on, on Twitter was the first one to mention this. Because the Suns put in a waiver claim for Jordan McRae, what it means now if they actually get him, and, and I don't believe, you know, this news isn't confirmed yet, um, is it? That like he's not officially on the roster yet. No, he hasn't they haven't yet. announced that yet. Yeah. No. So they haven't announced it yet. We should be very clear of that just in case something somehow falls through after we record this. But we're operating under the assumption that he will be a Phoenix Sun. And if they put that waiver claim on him, which they did, they can get his early bird rights uh, going into free agency, which means they can go into um, above the cap. Uh, in order to sign him, should he perform well over the last 20 games or so of the season, and they want to keep him beyond this year in free agency, which is just one more thing that helps them potentially, again, if he pans out, uh, it really helps them boost their bench for next year to preserve some of the cap space that they already have, go after different guys, and then go over the cap to keep a guy like McRae with bird rights. Um, so for a number of reasons, this is this is a really cool signing, and I actually like it a lot. I like it as well. I think it's smart that the way that they did it, uh, they have the flexibility for the future. They can keep him if they'd like to. They can get rid of him if they want, uh, depending on how they fill out that bench next season. But I also think that it's it's an important signing this year because he's 28. Like This guy has been around the NBA for a while. Not an established veteran, not like this great player that's been around for a while, but good enough that he's probably one of the best shot creators for himself that the Suns have on the roster just right away, just coming into the game, uh, the next game. So assuming he is signed, I think it's a very, very smart move. I wish that it would have happened sooner. I, I understand that it's difficult to get teams to uh, waive players like this, and I think they really have to give up on them. And uh, the the Suns are really lucky that they did. They they must. I haven't looked it up yet. I wonder who his agent is. They must have a good relationship with his agent in order to actually get somebody to be bought out like that and it, and join the Phoenix Suns. I mean, he's leaving a team that's going to be in the playoffs in the in the Denver Nuggets. So it's just kind of interesting that they did that. Uh, and I, I'm excited to see him back on the team. I think he'll do a good job. He he'll be one of the better shooters coming off the bench. He'll be probably the best. Uh, ball handler coming off the bench just right away and that, I think that'll make a, a big difference uh, so I'm I'm excited to see him and I just there's really no downside to to this signing right Abs- absolutely not and just to put a stat to what you were saying um, you know I, I like McRae because he's not a brilliant playmaker or anything he's more of a two than he is a one although he can play both but he's got a real tight dribble and as you alluded to it means he can create his own shot um, and he has created 50% of his field goals this season. 50% of his field goals have come unassisted, which is important because if you look at the rest of the Phoenix Suns bench right now, I'm just going to compare that to who we currently have. Cam Johnson has created 11% of his own field goals. Aaron Baines, 18%. Javon Carter, 33%, which for a point (laughs) guard is insanely low because it means he basically never drives to the rim and finishes himself. Um, and even Elia Kobo is still only at 42%. So for Jordan McRae to be at 50%, he's not a godsend. He's not going to save this team. He's not going to make them the best bench and win six men of the year or anything. But he is more than capable of creating his own offense. And he will stop these periods uh, of just becoming absolutely stagnant uh, where mm-hmm. the Suns can't get anything. So I'm actually really excited for him. And, and I think this, um, look, it's not replacing Kelly Oubre. It's not no. replacing 19 points per game of offense right there. But I do think it is uh, gonna go gonna go a long way towards filling that gap, and I'm excited yeah. to see him play. I think it's it's gonna replace some Javon Carter minutes. It's gonna replace some Ty Jerome minutes. It's gonna replace 
some Elia Kobo minutes, and hopefully it'll replace a little bit of Devin Booker minutes if he's playing a little too much. Uh, if they can find uh, a way to sort of reduce some of those minutes for the guys that are playing a lot and uh, reduce some of the minutes of the guys that they probably won't have on the team next year, depending on who they decide that's going to be, uh, I think that'll help a lot. So, I mean, there are times in the game where Devin Booker's playing power forward uh, just because of the lack of depth on this team and they're finding a way to make any of those guards worthwhile. So I think he'll be a welcome addition to this team. Uh, Sam, you had something that you would like to talk about in our brand new segment. This is why the ratings are down. What would you like to talk about with that? All right. Yeah, we got to talk about something real quick. This is why the ratings are down. Part two, week two. Let's go. We got to talk about home cooking. Now, home cooking is a phrase that in the NBA vernacular, I think everyone is a little bit familiar with. You look at John Stockton, the all-time leading uh, assist leader at the NBA level. Uh, he got a lot of home cooking back in the day from his stat keepers. They would give him assists that weren't really assists. It kind of became a thing, you know, around the league that John Stockton was getting, I don't know, fit, uh, 1.5 times as many assists at home as he would uh, on the road. And that's a stat that I'm just making up right now. But if you go and look it up, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there's a wide gap there. With the Suns, Steve Nash, honestly, you know, 14, 15 years ago, got a little bit of home cooking. He got some assists. And assists is a stat that you can really do this with and not get caught because it's so, uh, it's, it's, what's the word I'm looking for, Mike? It's just not set in stone. The, 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 right. The rules as to what an assist are are so vague. Arbitrary. Arbitrary, thank you. It's so arbitrary that any stat keeper can decide what is and isn't an assist, and you can't really argue with them at the end of the day. But here's what you can argue with on stat keepers. I know when a block is a block. You all know when a block is a block. You watch it. You watch the ball hit the player's fingertips, the defending player, and they should get credited with a block. And the other night against Detroit, we all saw it on Twitter. You probably saw it at home, even if you weren't on Twitter or Reddit. DeAndre Aiden got four blocks. He was only credited for two. There is video evidence of this. There is there is a plenty of video evidence of this. And to this point, as far as I know, and double-checking the box score right now, it is indeed true. DeAndre Aiden still only credited for two blocks in that game, despite having four. And this is why this is important. It's not just about, you know, the NBA deep state trying to keep Phoenix down, which which may be true for all I know. But but this goes for, further than that. Even if you want to play it straight edge and say that there are no there is no deep state, box scores matter because they drive narratives. Russell Westbrook won an entire MVP on the narrative of the triple-double and getting, you know, maybe half a rebound. Yeah. If he had averaged nine and a half rebounds per game instead of 10 that season, we don't know if he would have won that MVP. So for DeAndre Ayton, the difference between two blocks in a game and four blocks in a game for a guy who was terrorized last season as a rookie for his lack of defensive impact, that really matters because it helps drive the narrative that he is now becoming a better defender, even if he played the exact same game. Whether he got two blocks or four blocks, it is critically important that we hold our own stat keepers accountable at home to, at the very least, give DeAndre Ayton the blocks that he is clearly so deserving of. If he was on the road, this could fly, and I would understand, and, you know, I would kick up a fuss about it, but at the end of the day, it's an opposing team stat keepers. They're not going to make that correction. If you are the Phoenix Suns stat keeper, you cannot be doing this to your franchise center uh, just mm -hmm. because of the the critical consequences of such an action. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, 
I think you should err on the side of giving him the block and you can take it away later. Uh, it, that's something that they do. Uh, but it was clear. I, I don't even think it was a question at the time of watching the game. And I don't know where they sit. Maybe they had difficult angles on the two blocks. But, I mean, it's it's a reputation thing at this point. They just assumed that they weren't blocks, I guess. Uh, and um, I think it's good enough to blame uh, the ratings being down on the fact that they're not giving him those blocks. <laughs> <laughs> that that tracks for me. That makes sense for me. It's why the ratings are down. I, I totally agree with it. I, I think it's frustrating, and I think that it's easily fixable. I think that's the other thing. So hopefully they heard a little bit of the, the heat coming off of uh, Twitter. Uh, I think that's the main place I saw it. And uh, maybe they'll make some changes in the future, and he'll get some actual uh, good stats uh, being kept for him going forward and it's not the first time that this has happened for deandre and as well it was happening last season as well and i think it's especially bad uh this season those two blocks were so obvious that i think that uh, it makes sense that there was a little bit of anger surrounding that it was a good game for him too so i think that's why it was frustrating so upcoming games let's talk about those and then uh we'll let people go from this sad and depressing episode <laughs> um toronto Portland and Milwaukee. These are all home games. This is the other uh, half of that six game home stretch that we were talking about on the last episode. Uh, Toronto, we all know, I talked for extended periods of time about how well they've been playing, but Toronto has had some injured players recently. Fred Van Vliet has been out, uh, Mark Gasol has been out. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of team they come into Phoenix with. And that does make them vulnerable. They're a very deep team, so they have guys that can step up and play well. I think for all of these games, but this one especially, and of course the Milwaukee game, uh, it all depends on what Suns team shows up. I, I think they're still trying to figure out how to replace Kelly Oubre's production, and uh, that's going to be a challenge for them, even with those injuries, because the Suns just didn't, if they play anything like they did in that Detroit or Golden State game, uh, they're going to get slaughtered. Uh, what do you think? Well, it's obviously, yeah, a, a really hard week for them. Um, the bright side, Toronto's dropped three straight because of those injuries. Um, Portland's dropped four of the past five. They don't have, they're playing without Damian Lillard right now, mm-hmm. and I don't know if he's going to be back for the he Phoenix game. He, he might be. I think he's questionable. Um, Milwaukee's hard anyway, slice it. Uh, but that being said, I'm going to try to be optimistic. I'm going to say the Suns can, can maybe pull off, uh, really hope that at home, they can pull off a win or two here, even go two and one. How monumental would it be if they go two and one? You know, they just need Booker to get out of this slump a little bit and go back to his average play. Um, Jordan McRae is going to be an instant boost to the bench. You know, I'm not trying to prop this guy up as a savior, but I really can't reiterate how much uh, how much help he's going to give that second unit. Cam Johnson, man. This might be the week. I'm. Fe- it's going to happen eventually that Cam Johnson drops twenty plus in right. a game. There's going right. to be. We're going to have the Cam Johnson game. I'd have faith that before the end of the season, the Cam Johnson game has to happen. Why not this week uh, against Portland? Um, give a, a Jake Lehman esque performance on the other side for <laughs> once. Drop twenty five points. Hit seven or eight threes. Do something ridiculous. Um, and and let's see the Suns maybe come out of the talking stick with a win in that one. I mean, and as much as I love the Toronto team, even when they're healthy, there's there's a roadmap to beating teams like that. And and one of the biggest parts is making your threes. 
all they really have to do to win any of these next few games is make make a, a good percentage of those three point shots. If they can do that, uh, they can win any of these games really, and and that would make uh, a big difference. But of course, as you talked about, Devin Booker does have to play well. Uh, it does look like Damian Lillard's going to play. He's eyeing uh, that game. By I the don't way. care. They're going to win. They're going to win. Right. And with, then, of course, Milwaukee. With the that, best I team say, in the NBA. This was the worst week of the season for Phoenix Suns fans. This what we hit the low point. The the stock market crashed. What did the stock market do today? It went back up twelve hundred points. So too will the Phoenix Suns. And next week, when we record <laughs> this podcast, we'll be talking fresh off a win uh, over at least one of one of these three teams. They will not drop three straight. I am promising you right now. Yeah, that'd be a five game losing streak. That because that then that'd be really bad, and then we'd be we would devote our entire next episode probably to the draft because there would yeah. be nothing else to talk about. It'll just be uh, that track of Amazing Grace played by bagpipes for like forty five minutes. I think that'll just be an entire episode. <laughs> so I I don't know if people will listen to it, but uh, that's what it'll be uh, with <laughs> with just a bet online ad at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, maybe the Suns will beat Milwaukee. I, I think that Milwaukee game is interesting just to see how they defend Giannis. Uh, Aiton has had success on him in the past, um, and it'll just be interesting to see what they do. He didn't really defend him previously uh, this season, so we'll see what they do in that game. Uh, it could be interesting, um, and I just that's one of those teams where even if you're close, all of a sudden they can be up by 20, 30 uh, like that. So uh, we'll see how that game goes. Uh, any other thoughts on anything that we've talked about this week, Sam? Just, just keep keep your spirits up, you know. Yeah, is positive that a message to positive me? vibes only uh, this <laughs> this week. Yeah, it's gonna get. Better. I like it. It's gonna get. It's gonna get better. Okay, it can't you know? get worse. I mean, it, it unless we lose wor- all three, it I can't guess we get just worse. set that up. It's not gonna get worse. <laughs> if they lose all three, we need to do something now. What do we do? <sighs> if anyone has any ideas, actually. For those of you who have listened this long into this episode after such a depressing week, feel free to either tweet at us or respond to the Reddit thread or even on Facebook. I know some of you listen on Facebook. Respond to that and tell us what you'd like us to do if they lose all three, specifically Sam, because he guaranteed we won't. That's a really dangerous game, but I'll play along. Hey, I'm not guaranteeing we'll do it, but I'd like to hear the suggestions. All right, we'll be back next week. Hopefully without some weird payoff thing to do for you guys. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.